Dude, the days are <laughs> yesterday. I shit you not. 8 p.m. <laughs> I was like, that. why didn't we do an episode? What the <laughs> fuck did I miss? Yeah, it didn't text me. Nothing. We just, just didn't do it. Jesus, Todd, just blow it off. And then I was weeks. Are, the days are melding in. I thought I thought today was last Thursday. <laughs> Tomorrow so, is next Friday. A few years ago, I started. I bought a pill box with the days on it. What was in it? <laughs> Pills. Oh. <laughs> What kind of for, for my medication. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Not so much to keep a track of the day, but so that I could make sure that I actually took my pill. Yeah. Because there were times where I would take yeah. my pill and I'd be sitting there and I'd be like, an hour later, like, did I? You're take... not super focused. You'll forget. Yeah. Uh, did I take my pill today? And I didn't. And you know, with my blood pressure meds, you're not really supposed to double up on it. Yeah. So um, I got the pill box, and now the pill box has become the only way for me to know what day of the week it is. It's like, oh. It's Monday. <laughs> Dude, it's great when you look at your pill box, you're like, what day is it? Uh, it's Wednesday. And then you look, and Tuesday and Wednesday have their pills in them, and you're like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> that's that's my experience with <laughs> pill box, box in the past. That's like, yeah. yeah, I forgot a day, and now uh, I'm all messed uh, up. shit. When you wake up to, to take the Sunday pill, you look at it, and you're like, fuck, it's only Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just started. Yep. Oh, goodness sakes. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 534. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we're here to talk week and geek. Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, how you faring in this whole thing? Uh, don't know. <laughs> don't know? <laughs> okay. It's, it's getting more and more difficult to just sit at home. Is it? <laughs> even with the amount of things I have to do. Oh, it's just I know. like start feeling pent up, and it's like, Makes you want to buy an AR-15 and go protest on the courthouse steps, doesn't it? No. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> no, I want to see Jeff in, in his little Captain America raincoat. Yes. Just standing yeah, yeah. there with an AR-15, just like, yeah, I'm going crazy at home. <laughs> you guys are still giving me shit about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A whole 10 minutes. Yeah. We're on fire. Yeah, ever since you bought that AR-15, we're giving you shit. <laughs> No, the Captain America raincoat. I could care less about the AR-15. <laughs> it's out front, City Hall. I don't know what day it is. I didn't look at my pills. That's right. <laughs> I want a calendar. Give me a calendar. Give me an old man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, you know boy. what? I, weirdly enough, I'm finding just the opposite. I, I'm really... I haven't had a vacation in ages, mm. so I've really started to enjoy this time at home, mostly because I don't feel I have a choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I could I could sit there and stew about it and go, I'm not working, I'm not being productive. When I do that, I go into anxiety and dumbness, and it's just stupid. And so just embracing it and go, you know what? I'm going to get up when I get up, and if I want to sp- play Minecraft or if I want to read a book... Or if I want to play a game of some other sort or whatever, I'm not gonna feel guilty about it. Yeah, it's it's I'm I'm not out of work by choice, so I'm going to enjoy the time by choice. Mind you, you know, over time, let's let's see how this holds out. I know, but it had it ended up having to be just like a conscious choice and reminding myself that hey, you know what, calm down, Bucky, you you can't go to work if you wanted to. Yeah, and just imagine all the doomsday prep. 
you know, they're in their compounds going shitbox crazy. They got to just No, go, they're not. They're go, they're go, on the courthouse steps. They got to go down the main <laughs> street protesting. This is what I prepared for. Now that it's here, I don't know what to do yeah, with myself. Really? really. <laughs> you, you know, they're really going to be fucked when the government collapses and they got nothing to be angry at. And they're just, you know, they're sitting there and they're, you know, uh, no choice. I got to fight my neighbor for water rights. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's only it's only been a month. Yeah, yeah. Only been it's a been month. a month, like six. Yeah, six weeks. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. <laughs> You're going stir crazy there, Jeff. I, I think it's just because I'm there by myself. Sure, like, that's part I of it. Don't. I mean, I talk to people. I don't, but I don't have that face to face contact yes. except when I'm here. Right. So that's one we, one we, day one day for like two hours. Out of the I'll week. just let you know, Shockman, because we're here for ourselves. We're not here for you. We are here for <laughs> some kind of social medicine. There you go. And and if somehow it helps you get through <laughs> what you're going through, that's just a bonus. <laughs> this is more for our own mental health yeah. at this point. <laughs> Except for Jake. No, no offense. Fuck you, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how you holding up? I'm okay. As Andy will point out time and again, this is kind of how I live. No. I hate not being able to go to the movies. Yes. Sure. That's something I like to do. Yes. Occasionally, I like to go out to eat, say, the Panda Express or mm-hmm. something like that. That'll be how I gain my breath of, you know, oh, there are more people in the world. Um, I think for me, the thing that, that's slowly eating at me is just the economic question oh, mark about everything. Of course. Because... Uh, the job that I lost when we did the lockdown, which was like going to be two thirds of my income, is not going to come back. So when this is all over, I'm not immediately returning to something. And that job was was a sort of last ditch, you know. Ooh, this came out of nowhere and saved my ass. Andy kind of saved my ass by uh, talking to his boss about me, and and. I still haven't gotten a stimulus, and I still uh, I'm still waiting for unemployment to set up the uh, self-employment sure. uh, filing. So that's all uncertain. So there's a lot of uncertainty oh, yes. there. There absolutely is, and I'm just in this zone of uh, I'm not panicking because if I'm late on a bill, I'll email them. Hey guys, uh, you know Corona, right? Yeah. So it's not like anything's terrible is happening there, but. I am getting a little frustrated with just the what the hell, what the hell, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I still um, haven't been able to file for unemployment. I did yeah. get my stimulus, sorry, my advance on next year's tax return. Um, <laughs> let's call it what it is. It's weird. I filed my taxes before the fifteenth. I still haven't got that yet. So I got the stimulus on the fifteenth, but I still haven't got the. The tax return yet, which have is you, weird. <clears throat> in social media, have you seen a correlation between people who went ahead and filed already and receiving stimulus? Because um, I'm, I'm one of the ones taking advantage of the, the extended deadline, so I haven't filed yet. And I'm wondering if people who did file might be, they're, they're fresh in the system, so they're getting their stimulus right away. Well, you should get a majority back, right? So why, I don't know why you wouldn't file. No, you think you're going to owe? Dude, I am all 1099 last year was all 1099 oh okay and it's i'm i'm in this weird weird zone of i actually earned so little i will not owe income tax but 
I will owe self-employment because I made so little I couldn't put away for self-employment tax. I see. So I'm going to owe. Maybe my ballpark right now, I still haven't crunched the numbers on TurboTax. My ballpark right now is about 1500 I will owe. I but, see. uh, d- yeah. So I'm, but I'm hearing a lot of people say, oh, I already got it. And I'm hearing people say they haven't. And just by eyeballing it on social media, I'm like running through the list and I'm like, this person would have already filed. I bet you this person already filed. This person is someone who would have already filed. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a correlation. If hmm. people who just freshly filed, the information's there, they've gotten their checks. Well, I've always done the direct deposit from the tax return into my bank account. Yeah, I've done that for so years. So I think that might be it as well because it did yeah. get literally well, yeah, it was like automatically on the 15th. Um, but yeah, I did file my taxes, and then and then of course a few the, days uh, early. Yeah, the um, the the getting the getting uh, the the shitlord's uh, signature on the check <laughs> delayed things. That's so. why the electronic was nice because yeah. I don't have to have that stupid paper. I know. Well, that was yeah. my joke originally because it was like, ah, I, I get ACH, so I'm you know I don't need to see that signature. You're mm. not a real Trump fan if you ca- if you get that check if you cash it. You're not a Trump fan. Yeah. If you get that cash, you keep that that royal signature and you put it on the wall. There you go. That's right. That's what real MAGA is about. Yeah. Oh, so, gentlemen, man. what geeky things you do this week? Uh, I argued with people on Facebook. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't. Even I watched you argue anymore. with people on Facebook. That's what? entertaining for me. <laughs> uh, some people, but that's um, a zero sum game right there. Oh yeah, <laughs> it it's a, it's it's. It's nice because what we really need is we need more people stepping up and taking on this stupid shit so that we have easier things to reference for sources and directions to put people in. I'm loving what John Oliver's doing with his coronavirus updates because he is tackling misinformation Almost every single every single week, which has been really really cool. You know what's interesting? Uh, I I have conservative friends that occasionally agree with me on certain things, and I'm and I'll ask them. I was like, so why don't you speak out against all these people that are making these illogical statements? He's like, because I don't want people to think I'm a liberal. Yeah, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, that is the dumbest thing ever. I mean, it's like you're not with us, you're against us. Exactly, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. If it's right, then it's right. If it's wrong, then you need to be. It needs to be pointed out. Now nah, it works, Jeff. Yeah, well, <laughs> damn me in my logical mind. <laughs> if only it did. So, what geeky things you do? Oh, geeky uh, things. Yeah. Well, I argue with no. Uh, <laughs> I discovered a little YouTube channel. They're called uh, "Don't Trust Our Opinion." I believe they call themselves. It's an interesting. Uh, yeah, it's two black guys, and they they watch they do video reactions but the the playlist i got on was they were doing video reactions to bill burr because bill burr will occasionally pick up on racial humor and so people sent in uh, requests and comments and asked them to do reactions to some bill burr bits and so they'll always choose uh, one of his specials, and they always, you know, grab a hold of one of his uh, his racial jags. And it's really funny watching watching uh, uh, black guys react to it. 
and like how you know the head shakes versus the oh yeah that's yeah that's true that's true you know and they react to it and uh, for the most part I mean they just they laugh and it was really really funny bit when they were Bill Burr does this thing where he's he's dating a black girl she lives in Harlem and one night she calls him and she's like come on up and see me so he's going to Harlem at 3 a.m. and uh uh, he's talking about the experience of being this shockingly white guy going to Harlem. And the black guys are laughing because uh, it's like, you know, it is relatable because actually in many ways it's just like, you know, one of us going to a different hood, a different neighborhood, not even a white neighborhood. It's just a hood that's not yours. And there's that level of... Mm, one guy actually paused the video and he turned to him and he was like, okay, what he just said, I'm walking down the street and there's a group of black guys at a corner. If you were in, if, if you were in a similar situation, how'd you react? And then the guy was like, yeah, no, I know what he's saying. Cause you know, if it's not where you normally grew up, um, you're going to be a little, and then, and then Berg goes on this sympathetic run about going out to the suburbs and they start laughing about, going out to the suburbs, you know. Uh, one of them actually was really funny. Uh, Burr's like, yeah, you start to drive down the street and you're like laid back. And one guy actually... Your mind on your money and your money on your money. <laughs> and, and he leans... And one guy actually leans forward like he's clutching his steering wheel and he's looking over the steering wheel. You know, like, this is what I do. And then Burr goes... And as you get closer, you lean forward and you're looking over the steering wheel and you're like, oh, God! What? There's so much grass. I don't understand this. And the guys burst out laughing because he called it. You know, the guy called what he was going to do, and it was that was pretty funny. So it's been interesting to see those reactions. What did you say? You think the channel's name is? Oh God, it's like don't trust our opinions because they'll they'll start right off with don't trust our opinions. Go to it and judge for yourself. But this is our reaction. Okay, and they're fun. They're 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 actually pretty good, pretty funny guys. There's um uh two guys here in Vegas. Lost in Vegas is their channel, and they uh, they will do music reaction vids. So they they uh, I've been watching them do metal and grunge reaction vids where they're listening to metal songs, grunge songs. They did a they did a whole rush. Uh, series where they listen to a bunch of different Rush songs and stuff like that. They'll also do some country songs and things like that. So they, uh, they're pretty cool. It's actually cool listening. They're musicians, and it's cool listening to musicians talk about music, but they do it on a level where I can at least kind of grasp what they're talking about when they get into the music. So talk, they'll be like, oh, you know, the backbeat of the bass, and then they'll go into it. So I'm actually learning a little bit and uh, learning a little bit like about Rush's music, watching these guys, which is really cool. So I've been doing that because, yeah. you know, YouTube. How about you, Jeff? What you been doing? Watching some more uh, videos on like music and stuff. Like uh, I discovered this channel uh, where this guy is recreating a lot of old 80s synthesizer pop. Oh, fun. With uh, his own equipment. It's kind of interesting to watch. Like he did the he did a recreation of Axel F, uh, the Airwolf theme, <laughs> uh, you know, Knight Rider, th those kinds of things with the 
synthesizer. I also watched this really interesting five-part series on the 1984 threatened hostile takeover of Disney. Oh, yes. And that, yes, that was pretty fascinating because I, I, I knew that there was a hostile takeover. I didn't realize there were two in that same year. It's just kind of fascinating how decisions got made thinking, okay, well, this is what Walt would have wanted us to do, which ended up being exactly the opposite of what Walt would have done because he always wanted people around him thinking outside of the box, not just being yes men. And uh, it's just a really fascinating. Cause I, I think each part is only between 15 and 20 minutes long. So it's not a super long series, but very in-depth, very informative. I believe the guy's channel, it's called Rob Plays. But yeah, if you get a chance, check that out. He has some other ones like the whole development of the Reedy Creek Improvement District and um, stuff like that, which is the whole area of uh, Disney World, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't watched that one yet, but uh, it's a it's another like five part series. So yeah, stuff like that. I've been watching a lot more of the. Uh, I, I shouldn't say I've been watching more. I've been watching about the same amount, but I'm still watching my uh, theme park history videos. Um, the, all the different channels that I have now. There's there's so many of those channels out there, and they are they get a little redundant sometimes. Yes. Sometimes, yeah, you know, I'll get like a nugget of new information, but uh, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't stop yeah. me from watching them. Right. <laughs> so there's always some new fun fast past facts explorer ch- channel. Yeah, the, Justin Scared did one the other day about the uh, history of. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm, which was really informative. I, I love that history. 45 minutes long. Yes. I could have done without him trying to do the character voice recreations. That was getting a little tedious after about the 30-minute the mark. But Okay, that's not one I've watched then. Um, <laughs> that's another 45-minute yes. Knott's Berry Farm. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's very, very interesting because I still haven't been there. I always meant to go when... Uh, when I was at Trek, because that was same part of the uh, or same company that owned Star Trek owned uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Not but, scary, uh, man. That's the time to go. I've always wanted to go, and uh, was thinking of going last year, but circumstances prevented it. So I, I was kind of blown away how long Not Scary Farm had been going. Yeah, I didn't realize it went back to the what was it late sixties even or something early seventies? Like that something like that. Like one of those two long definitely. time. Like started off as a. Uh, there was a local horror host that was doing live shows, and they wanted to bring him in. And that's pretty much all it was, was this uh, horror host doing this live show on Halloween, and just grew from that. Wow. I was just fascinated I did by not the, whole, know that. the whole notion of Knott's Berry Farm, obviously starting off as a real farm, and then little shop, but then... And then chicken restaurant! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then growing into a quote-unquote theme park, but... The actual theme park stuff, like with the rides and stuff, were done by outside vendors that paid like a little bit of rent to the Knotts family. So it wasn't there that they were taking care of everything. Each all these little individual vendors would say, "I want to do this." Okay, here you go. I I just found that fascinating because I I'd, I'd never heard of anything like that prior to. Yeah, that's so. uh, yeah. If, there's a few histories out there. Uh, I, which was the channel you saw yours on? Do you remember? Justin Scared. Justin Scared. Okay. Yeah, that's not the one that I saw. Uh, so, yeah, if you're interested in that history, do a, just a search of history of Knott's Berry Farm. Look for anything over 45 minutes. You're in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, because there's one apparently with weird voices in it, though. <laughs> 
Uh, my favorite part of the week. Oh, I had I had a dandy of a day on Saturday. Oh, I even no. woke up early. Really? Yes, and turned right to it because oh. this last Saturday was CoronaCon. <laughs> CoronaCon. CoronaCon. Uh, <laughs> this weekend was supposed to be the big scares that care. Uh, convention. It happens okay, yeah, yeah. every year. If you're not familiar, Scares That Care is a charity where they uh, take uh, a few families on that have experienced some sort of massive trauma, whether they uh, lost everything in the fire, including a lot of uh, uh, harm that happened to them and such. So they usually adopt like two or three families. So Scare That Care brings this money in and then puts that money right back out. And they do this convention, I think, once or twice a year. And there is, of course, a movie focus, but there's also a literary horror focus, which is really rare in a horror convention. Uh, well, the literary side of that, since, of course, it was canceled, decided to do a virtual convention on Saturday. <clears throat> they did it live. It lasted seven, like seven and a half hours. Oh, wow. And they basically did what they were going to do there, the lineup of the panels. Uh, if you haven't been to a literary horror convention, how they basically work is uh, there'll be a panel that just focuses on the author, and usually during that time, that author sits and does a reading from one of their works and then does a Q&A afterwards. And then there's a multi-author panel that talks about usually writer-based things like uh, uh, how do you find readership in a social media environment and things like that. And then it goes on to another author day, do a reading and a question and answer, and it continues like that throughout the day. That's what a literary horror con is. And and if you're going there, you anything you don't want to go to in the panels, you just go to the room where all the authors are doing autographs and selling their wares, and new authors are trying to show what, what new things that they've put out. Uh, it's Adam Caesar's where I... I Met him at KillerCon when I was here in Vegas years back, and he's become one of my favorite authors since. Uh, so, yeah, literary convention. But this time they did it virtual. So, uh, using a live streaming format, they put it onto YouTube. Uh, they would have, of course, the chat on the right side, as live streaming does. And then that's where they would take the questions for the question and answer session post the reading or the uh, panel. And, yeah, they did it all day. Brian Keene was part of it, Mary San Giovanni, Jonathan Jan, Stephen Gazanewski. People I absolutely adore in horror, and it was put on by Kelly Owen, a fantastic horror author in her own right. So hats off to Kelly Owen. Uh, if you do want to see it, uh, they, it, they did put it onto YouTube so you can watch the whole seven-hour thing in a row if you so desire. And, of course, they do keep that chat as it happens so you can see the interactions. And what, a, what was so wonderful about it, not only was just interacting with these authors and hearing what's, what their thought and how their writing process works, in the chat, was also horror illuminaries that are there just there to attend. Oh wow! Just there to put in their t their two cents. Tim Wagner, Josh Mallerman. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's one of the most up and coming authors. He wrote Bird Box that they put out on Netflix, and he's written a lot more since. Really, really good author. And it was just great to see all these authors just chiming in here and there, and people that weren't involved in this or that panel still being in the chat section, interacting with the group or just throwing out an inside joke here and there. It was just a fantastic get together. That's really cool. So if you do want to experience it, it is out there. It is on Kelly Owen's uh, YouTube page. That's K-E-L-I Owen. And uh, yeah, check it out or just look up CoronaCon. You'll find it. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was my Saturday. I, I woke up early, 
and just plugged in my iPad next to me and just kind of laid in bed and listened to it till I fell asleep and woke again. And then I went back and watched the parts I <laughs> fell asleep during. That actually does remind me of two things that I did this week that I don't know why I didn't think of before. Speaking of all that online stuff, on Friday, there were two really cool things that I got to, uh, to watch online. Friday morning, the cast of Chuck, the TV oh, series, yes. did a table read live. It's, it's available. If you want to watch it, it is available in its entirety now on YouTube. But the whole cast got together over Zoom and did a table read of uh, an episode. Uh, the episode's title was Chuck versus the Beard, which is the episode where, where Chuck does reveal to his best friend that he is a spy. And there's all kinds of other chaos that ensues. But it was phenomenal. I mean, the, the cast hasn't really performed together in its entirety in almost 10 years now but the chemistry was right there and they were playing off each other really well guest star Diedrich Bader who was the guest star on that actual episode and that was just crazy I just it was so much fun because I I really missed that show I really enjoyed it that was one of my first panels I ever went to at comic-con when it was brand new like it was in one of those side rooms one of the smaller ones and I remember going to that panel and not, I mean, the, the room was full, but it wasn't a big room. So there wasn't like a lot of people in there, but just hearing them talk about the show and how excited they all were, uh, I was just like, this is a really cool sounding premise. I really want to watch the series. And then I did watch it all the way through and absolutely loved it. And then now apparently the co-creators are talking about perhaps trying to do like a, a movie Oh, either fun. either on, you know, like a reunion movie, either on NBC or perhaps on a streaming platform. And I thought, that's really cool. The other thing I did was the cast, or I should say, the the four band members from That Thing You Do. Oh, yes. That movie, they did a, um, a live chat about the movie. So, a li- uh, you know, they couldn't show the movie, but they said, if you have a movie, start it now. And then we're going to do live commentary. So it was uh, Tom Everett Scott, Steve Zahn, Ethan Embry, and I can never say this guy's name right. Jonathan Schneck, I guess, or Schneck, Schneck, I don't know how to Schneck say tech. his name. Jonathan. But uh, And then uh, Giovanni Ribisi popped in, as well as Colin Hanks. And uh, uh, there's another guest star that popped in. Um, but they're talking about the film. And a lot of it was like their memories and experiences. So not necessarily film centric things, but it's like, Oh my God, do you remember when we shot this? You know, we were, you know, it was right next door to like this horse track and, and that dust. And we all got sick. Oh, just like stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So really like these guys playing off of each other so well, it was, it was just enjoyable. It was entertaining. So, those are two two things. Yeah, didn't uh, Battlestar Galactica also do a live reading yeah, this they, last they, week? I th- missed for that episode one. Episode thirty three. I, I think. Yeah, I I couldn't find that one. It's probably on YouTube now. But but uh, I I remember looking for it the day of, and I forgot about it. Then I'm gonna look for it. Again. Right. It was uh, thirty three, the one where they're yeah doing all those jumps. Yeah, they had to jump like every thirty three minutes because they were getting attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were they were supposed to have also done a, a table read. There's a few of these that are going on now. Um, Entertainment Weekly is sponsoring a few of them yeah. for that's, this that's alone thing, together. It's one thing that's killed me in doing my research is that I, when I research, I see all the things I missed. Yeah, I didn't know what's happening. So 
I, I am glad that they're not just doing these one-offs as like, you know, they do the table read and then it's, you know, gone to the ether. I'm yeah. glad that they're keeping them. So if you missed it, because like that Chuck one was at 9 a.m. And I'm not usually up that sure. early. So um, I, I I did catch it. But then later on, I saw that it was available on uh, YouTube as well as a few other platforms. Uh now, something similar to that, and Jake kind of threw this one out to me. Uh, I'd already seen it by the time he did, but I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks for keeping me in mind, is uh, the YouTube channel, The Shows Must Go On. Okay. Which is, uh, I think it's part of the Broadway League has put it together. And every Friday, they release a full Broadway show that's been filmed professionally. Oh, nice. And they make it available for 48 hours, and then it's gone. Then they, wow. they leave a few clips behind of what sure. they've shown and then the next friday they do another show this last week was phantom of the opera nice that's one the, of your favorites uh indeed and uh, last week before that i think was the uh, jesus christ superstar starring tim minchin nice which is one of the best I've variants always, of it i've always wanted to see the one with minchin in it He's i didn't great. even know that was it's i didn't know so it was good. out there damn uh, it <laughs> next week is going to be love never dies which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera that Andrew Lloyd Webber put out there. Ooh. Uh, if you're a fan of Phantom of the Opera, I recommend seeing it. Uh, keep your expectations low. If you're not a fan of the Phantom of the Opera, don't go there. It's not, not good. Love Never Dies is not his best work. That also reminds me, uh, Wizard World is doing virtual cons online. So they're having geek conventions with streaming of different panels of now there i think they're charging right like 65 they, i believe they are something along that i didn't look up the price i just i was i thought it was cool that they were doing it not so much that they're charging for it but you know i guess everybody's got to make a buck while they can oh, but man. uh it just it was nice to see that they were trying to do something like that given yeah. that we can't go to conventions right now and sure meet yeah. our meet our favorite uh panelists and listen to them speak uh, finished a few books I've been reading. Uh, Ghost Land by Colin Dickey. Hmm, yeah. I don't... Whew. I rated it two stars. I, I. It's rare. Did you rate have, it? Uh, Actually rate it? Yeah. <gasps> Dude. I mean, I didn't email him or anything. It's you know, Well, just, no, but it's like... Stars. That, 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 that always hurts on Dear Amazon. You, you know what, though? <laughs> I mean, and I, I learned this this weekend at Chronicon. That actually helps authors when you have a multitude of things as far as like multiple stars. It shows a legitimacy of the ratings of the book that authors actually do appreciate. They do. They uh, have because been if because if you have all fives at the top and no other ones, maybe a smattering of fours. Then people go, uh-oh, is this all like friends and people they've paid to review? And if it's all on the bottom ones, it's kind of like the same thing. But if there is going across the board because there are multiple opinions about books, then that shows a lot more legitimacy. So even the authors that were speaking during that panel were like, yeah, even if you didn't like my book, go ahead and, and put you know one or two stars, whatever wow. you felt about it, because that does help me in the algorithm. That's that's interesting because the generally up until you said that the line I've been hearing is that even even three stars is damaging to the algorithm and you will actually not get promoted and add put up front and all that stuff by Amazon if you have too much of that going. Sure, and it's more about uh, how many reviews you get than what the course of the reviews are. Mm -hmm. So 
So so I went ahead and, and spoke my mind. Uh, Ghostland is, was an interesting concept. It's basically Jurassic Park with ghosts, where they opened up a theme park where they were able to import all these haunted buildings and reconstruct them there and the ghosts that were already there <laughs> and then use this uh, uh, virtual AR system that allowed you to see them. And uh, then the AI takes over because there's a bad guy in charge of it and so on. Isn't there an episode of the real Ghostbusters that had that similar premise? Probably. Like they were using the ghosts as a theme park or something? Maybe. I, okay. didn't, I didn't watch a lot of those. It's, it's been so long. I just, it, it popped in my head. I'm like, that sounds really familiar. It's, and what was, what was disheartening about it is there were so many in, neat ideas in the book. But it seemed like one of those books where the author had all these neat ideas and didn't know how to string them all together. So uh-huh. he created a couple of generic characters that really had no true personality and they weren't interesting enough to follow through with each thing going through. And by the end, I was just tired of saying, nobody talks like that. Nobody talks like that. <laughs> nobody talks like that. So I, I had to just, I thought about giving it three stars because of the. Uh, the interesting ideas, but I figured that's what the extra star was for. I always used to have that problem when I was writing too, because like I would come up with a bunch of cool ideas that I couldn't string together, or I'd have like a bunch of cool scenes that I could visualize and I could write the individual scenes, but I couldn't figure out a through line to tie it all together so that it was a coherent sure. story, if you will. And you know what? 14-year-old me would have loved this book. Yeah. Just because it's just, it was so it was full of really cool interesting deaths a lot of people died horribly and in interesting ways but there was just no emotional reason to continue on with it i just wanted to see how it ended otherwise i probably wouldn't have finished it either kind way to see if it actually culminated into something and it never really did so you were your own victim of the sunk cost fallacy at so, that point that's right yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah I, and I, bring it back I, I told you last week i fully full on go on that it's rare that i give up a book altogether right yeah and if I do give it up, I won't rate it. Gotcha. Uh, I also finished Flowers for Algernon. Uh, that's a good thing to read when you're not feeling all that happy about life. Good. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, just to reiterate, Flowers for Algernon uh, by, what was that, uh, Daniel Keyes. Uh, book from 1958. Yeah. About a uh, scientific experiment where they take a mentally challenged person and do a... Uh, Lawnmower man? Uh, something like that. And, and it's written by his point of view, by his journals. Oh, okay. So it's what really interesting writing thing because it starts off with him not being able to spell things very well. It's a neat and, take. And, and very, very simple ideas. And then becoming this super genius and then it going away. <laughs> but his, his becoming a super genius does not equate social uh, genius. So it's you gotta so stick saying super genius. I know. I, I know how your brain directly works. Directly back to I know how your brain works, Jeff. <laughs> Wiley Coyote, super <laughs> genius. Yeah, it's <laughs> God. It's a tremendously sad. It is. Bit. And and especially the closing bit where you know the title of the book comes into play because it's he's just like, please leave the flowers for Algernon. And, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, how can you spoil a fifty, you know, fifty-year-old book? But that's kind of neat, though. The, the point, the whole point of view aspect. That that's that's really intriguing. I do recommend it to anybody out there who's that sounds like an interesting premise. It's written very, very well, and it's written in a style that really 
does hold up. And it's a short book. Yeah, it's, it's, only, it's, it's under 300 pages. It's not one of those giant tomes. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a quick read. Mm-hmm. And now I'm reading the 2016 Bram Stoker Award winning uh, The Fisherman from John Langan. Uh, this has been suggested to me by many, many people and lists. And it's one of those books that I've been told, read it, but the less you know about it, the better. Uh, all I can really tell you is about uh, two fishermen that who suffered really great losses and the uh, cosmic quiet horror that calls to them. It's... Well... Yeah, it's, I'm a quarter of the way through it, and I'm already in love with it. The, the prose is amazing. It's told from a first-person point of view, uh, and it's told in a very folklore style that someone's telling you this tale. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure when I'm done with it, I'll, I'm, I, given all of its suggestion, I doubt it'll shit the bed. Just so far, I can tell that this might be one of my favorite reads of the year. So, and plus, it's a good... I love quiet horror in novels, literary horror, and that's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. So, so deep emotions, heavy story, and very, very solid characters, and those are what I really go for. Anything else you do this week, gentlemen? Have you seen Annihilation? Yes. yes. Okay. I love Annihilation. All right, because I just watched um, Hyperdrive as a YouTube channel where he does recommendations, and he was doing genre recommendations. So, um, uh, God, what the hell was that under? That would be under apocalyptic, as in the apocalypse is happening? Or was that cosmic horror? I can't remember. I put it closer to cosmic horror. All right. They, I watched a number of them, and a lot of them drifted together, and he even had crossover recommendations. So I, things got jumbled. But like Annihilation, The Void, um, nice. Uh, a couple that I hadn't seen jumped out. Of course, he also talked about like Event Horizon, The Mist, stuff like that. So he actually has a Lovecraft episode where he talks about eight, seven or eight Lovecraft-based movies. So uh, I haven't watched that one yet, but I was curious if you had, because I was like, I just watched that this afternoon, so I was figuring I would look some stuff up. Yeah, Annihilation is worthwhile. Uh, based on novel, I can't remember the author's name. Uh, the novel's not an easy read. Um, it, it's it's a very flowery prose, and the characters are all named after their job. So you have like the engineer, mm. and you have the uh, the soldier, and so on. Interesting. So so it really doesn't build any characters. So it's more about situations. Although I will say, versus Ghostland still better characters even though there's none it's just in prose and but very very fascinating ideas and they fleshed it out a little more in the movie as far as characters go and even though they don't hit all the really interesting points in the book they hit enough of them that makes the movie worthwhile and it is all a right. very, very deep and engaging movie. Well, it's funny. He's very Cronenberg, though. The yes. bo- with the yeah. body horror modifications. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. There's there is some body horror. Yeah. He uh, he actually You're squeamish. It's gonna, it'll be a tough watch for you. For the first time, he actually also made me uh, interested in uh, the the Blob remake. Oh. The 80s blob. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he had to say about it made me think, like, okay, maybe I should watch this because. I just figured it was going to be a tacky redo of the, you know, the original, which was a, a 50s B-movie staple, sure. really. And then there was Possession. 
It's an older movie with Sam Neill and Isabella Gianni, which uh, sounded really freaky because they both, uh, both their characters kind of get really, really freaky weird in this uh, relationship, this marriage that's falling apart. It's really funny because one of its comments is, yeah, watching this movie will put you off from marriage for sure. <laughs> so so there were, there were a few like that that I like picked up on my list. I uh, wanted to shout out to uh, Jeffrey uh, K, who sent me a bunch of, uh, he plays a piano. So he sent me a bunch of Rachmaninoff and oh. Russian composer <laughs> stuff <laughs> after berating me for being a Polak who didn't mention Chopin. <laughs> um, uh, so I thank you for that. I'm actually, uh, I haven't downloaded them yet because I read it all on my uh, phone and I actually want to get it in my uh, computer, in my uh, actual music storage. So so I have to get those, uh, those uh, downloaded. And um, also congratulations to Jeff because he is... Uh, he is writing a book. Oh. Oh, shit. And I'm blanking on the fucking... What was it? Citadel of the Fallen? Is that right? God damn it if I have it wrong. Fucking A. Um, he actually uh, just put uh, put up on Facebook. Um, he's getting getting towards publishing it. He's uh, actually got his cover design. The, the, uh, which Jeff up. is this? Jeff uh, Conkle. Okay. Uh, Fantastic. Jeff K. So you oh, go, wow. Jeff. Not me. Uh, yeah, no, not that Jeff. I, you know, I would have said 80s or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Jeffrey G or something. I don't know. Um, God dang, dude, and my phone is giving me trouble right now. So uh, I hope I got that title right. If not, I'm sure uh, Jake will let me know. Very cool. But yes, yes, keep on doing it. Yeah. You're doing what I should be doing. So, hey, you know, <laughs> all this friggin' free time. I, I feel triumphant because like two weeks ago, I sprayed weed killer in my backyard. You know what? Celebrate little victories. Yeah. Pat yourself on the back for anything you get done that might be even somewhat productive. And it and just give yourself a thumbs up, man. Yeah. Well, be, thank, be kind to yourself. Thank God you guys come over here because that gives me a reason to clean up that bathroom and <laughs> dump the cat uh, litter off of the cat rug and into the garbage and... Because well, it's like like not like anybody's using it the rest of the week, right? Yeah, no. That I mean, it's it's Kit's bathroom now because that <laughs> fucker's broken. So it's it really broken. all his. Yeah, the fucking uh, s- supply valve. It's really irritating because the uh, the 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 hose that goes from the supply valve into the tank of the toilet. I was changing out a new toilet fill valve because the old one was just and 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 it was really funny it wasn't even like it was totally broken i was just like this fill valve is old it's blown out it's probably leaky i might as well just spend the 20 bucks get a new one and i'll put it in there and while i was setting it up the hose that goes from the supply uh valve broke because you know that flex hose oh it it and I was I was like I carefully the, trying to the double braided hoses because yeah. I hate those. And I was like, come on, yeah, flex be, hoses. be careful, be careful. No, just don't. And I just felt it. It's you feel the metal just go. Yeah, uh. it's, it's really thin and it cracks easily. Motherfucking supply valve is one of those cheap bastards where the fill hose is integral to the fucking valve. Yep. So you cannot disconnect the hose and put in a new one. You need to do a whole new fucking valve. And the thing. 
is is the valve on the pipe right in the wall which where plumbing's concerned makes me nervous about DIY. So I can help you with that. I've I've so, done that. I've replaced those. Well, maybe I'll take you up on it because uh, I know what I need to get. I know what I want. Always get a separate um, valve. Always get a separate. Nice, oh yeah. Good hose. And I'm gonna get a quarter ball valve, a quarter turn ball valve, not the, not this free uh, turny uh, rubber seal bullshit. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so so there's no toilet down here. That's what I meant when I told you guys. There's no toilet down here. Uh, okay. You have to go up to Andy's if you had to do anything be, besides wash your you know, hands. You know, that and, it, and a few other things took off like in the 90s because they were cheap. They start integrating the valve and the hose. I, um, I, the, yes. The, this style of dome lighting, that the recessed lighting that's built into the um, ceilings, they started, you know, you could buy them cheap, especially if you bought them in bulk. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's stuff like that, and yeah, because that that was half same thing happened at your condo. I ended up having to replace a valve condo ah, one time. Yeah, and and if if you know, I get this done. Uh, I got I got valves all over the place because this house <laughs> is starting to show its age, and some of those valves, and of course. 90s this is not a high-end neighborhood it was a okay middle-class neighborhood but it wasn't high-end enough to be built with good materials so stuff like those water supply valves suck yeah so it, that's it, why there's a reason why they were so cheap when yeah you them exactly there's a reason why my father was banned from coming to the lot while they were building the house <laughs> he would just come on and comment on everything and finally the construction people called the homeowner or the the realtor or whomever and was like can you remind him that until we turn over the keys he actually doesn't own it <laughs> and he got banned from coming on site while they were building wow oh, wow because he he was an architect and he was a part of uh, the school district's rehab his whole job was going through places and like this isn't code this needs to be new there's a better way to do this and that and he just drove him crazy because of course they did it Shit job. So, uh, another geeky thing I did this week. I took advantage of uh, Shutter's streaming service. They offered a 30-day free trial. Oh, uh, yeah. For this whole thing. I was like, well, 30 days. I got to go for that. Did you Shutter? You know what? But I did clap uh, because they, the big reason I wanted to get on Shutter, aside from, of course, Tales from the Crypt, uh, the new season of that. Greg Nicotero, and he's, doing Joe Hill stories, doing uh, Joe Lansdale stories. So, yeah, Tales from the Crypt, awesome. Uh, But the other thing that they're doing is a documentary series called Cursed Films, which goes into, it's a a multi-episode documentary series, about half hour each episode, talking about the various films that have uh, folklore attached to them as cursed, like uh, the first episode is The Exorcist and all the... Uh, spooky happenings that happened during the filming of Exorcist and the Omen uh, poltergeist. Mm, Especially poltergeist. Right. And I I haven't seen the two new ones, uh, which are uh, The Crow and Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that one's cursed. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But what I do love about it is one of the people that they interview for the show is Michael Shermer. If you're not familiar with him, he is uh, really, really big in the skeptic community. He's written many, many, many books. And so he's very much a skeptic thought writer. So 
it lays out all these stories about all the things that happened. And then like the final part is kind of like, uh, but it's not cursed. This is really kind of what kept causing this thinking to happen, happen amongst the populace. And the Poltergeist one is especially great because they interview the director of Poltergeist 3, which, of course, is the one where the girl that played Carol Ann, she died while filming it. And he had to go back and do a whole new ending. And he wanted to just abandon it altogether and just not do it. And, of course, he was forced by contract to do it. But he has so much disregard for that film just because he doesn't think it's a good hold on to that actress's memory mm. and his interview is really really interesting so wow. if you do have shutter or you considered shutter get in on this 30-day thing it's worth it for those two shows alone and of course it's packed full of horror tv it's all horror streaming if you didn't catch that by the name of the streaming service anything else guys before we move on i'll probably remember something later <laughs> Probably. In that case, let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Nowhere near as good. I miss you, Andy. I miss you. Nowhere near as good. I don't miss it. Even though we've seen a massive expansion of streaming services in the past few years, there's going to be fewer now that Fandango is set to buy Voodoo. Really? Oh. Uh, Fandango, which has its own online movie marketplace called Fandango Now, is acquiring Walmart's streaming service Voodoo for an undisclosed price. Walmart? As, right? Yeah, Walmart owned Voodoo. I never even... Yeah. As current releases uh, head straight to streaming during the coronavirus pandemic, those with digital movie marketplaces are seeing big numbers while audiences can't go to the theater. Walmart, after making a minor gamble with the service, has been looking to leave the business behind since early this year. Also, Fox Corp has completed the acquisition of Tubi. Uh, Fox Corp bought the, uh, itself a foothold in the free ad-supported streaming arena. Until Tubi, Fox had largely stayed out of streaming. Uh, Tubi is available on more than 25 digital platforms in the U.S. with some 20,000 titles and 56,000 hours of film and episodic television programming from several hundred content partners. Fox c- plans to continue to run Tubi as an independent service. Now, this is, this is not Fox that's owned by Disney. This is Fox that owns Fox News, the part that Disney uh, didn't buy. Right. So in case you were confused about that. So Disney isn't buying this. This is the Murdoch family that is buying this. So it's going to be conservative movies and TV shows filled with lies. <laughs> <laughs> what? Lots of, Tubi. Lots of Air Force One and um, uh, uh, shit was the other movie. <laughs> Tubi. I, 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 I don't even know if I've ever heard the fucker. How T-U-B-I. Did, T-U-B-I, yeah. What does it have? Oh, I've read that. I've seen that in, yeah. written. But I don't know. What is I don't know what services For a while, everybody's holding on to their shit so tightly now. For a while, if I remember, Tubi was kind of one of those free streaming services where it was a lot of stuff like you would find on. Um, they have movies like To Be or Not To Be. That's uh, that's one that's on there. A lot Pluto of Pluto TV. Boom, that's what boom, I was trying to think boom, of. Pluto boom, TV boom, was like boom. one of these free streaming services that had a lot of content that you'd find on like standard broadcast television uh, with commercials and so forth. What was that? So. There, there was a TV station that had like all those 50 shows. 
A TV Land? Uh, not. It was. It was. There was Turner an, Classic Movies. There was another one. Damn it! It wasn't TV Land. It wasn't Turner's. It was. Uh, Rocket. Uh, nope, I can't remember. But it would. It would like have Perry Mason. It would have older episodes of The Twilight Zone. It had tons of. It was funny because Francine was always when Francine and Jerry were here a couple of years ago. Francine was watching that when I would get home from Ka. And so I'd sit and watch the tail end of uh, yet another Perry Mason or something like that. And yeah, I'm totally blanking on the title, but it's it's just like everybody's holding on to their content so tightly. I can't imagine. It's amazing that there's anything out there to for generic. You know, if Tubi like had all Fox shit, I'd be like, oh okay, dur. But it's just sure. Hello. Everybody's trying to become the next, you know, Viacom because that's how yeah. Viacom made their made their money. They yeah. bought up all of those old television shows that people thought, you know, oh, nobody's going to want to watch this again, and then put it out in syndication. Mm-hmm. I will say, with all this super streaminess that is happening, that if you're really into some kind of niche programming, there's probably a streaming service for you. Probably, um, most likely. I mean. Uh, of course, I subscribe to Shutter. All horror. There's Acorn. That's all British television and movies. Uh, I subscribe to The Great Courses, which is a uh, series of college lectures on various topics done by very high-end professors of varying colleges throughout the world. And they hire these guys to do like 32 half-hour lectures on a single topic. So basically, you're looking at a college class for whatever topic you kind of want. Um, so I subscribed to that one too because they had a 30-day free thing. I'm like, oh, let's do these free things. So yeah, there's a if, there's a few out of there that's just like con TV ones that are just Comic-Con style panels. Uh, I think Brizzle World has had theirs for a good while. Yeah. So yeah, do some uh, do some diving. There's there's a Bollywood one out there. If you really love Bollywood movies, that's all it focuses on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do a deep dive. I think one of the better ways, if you have Amazon Prime, to go into their channel section, it will show you a cross-section of the channels that are out there. And each one will have like a 7- to 14-day free trial if you want to do it right. through them. Now, of course, if you subscribe through them, you'll get some, it'll go through Amazon. And it usually costs a little more to do it that way. There's usually better deals out there if you can use like Chromecast or something like that to go online. Uh, Broadway HD, they do nothing but professional Broadway shows. So th- there's something for you out there. And But yeah, there's so many streaming services that have these generic names yeah. that they're like, oh, what do you, what do you, what do you even do? Yeah, that's... You're, you're ad-supported. But I, I, I don't want to go in and look because I don't want to be on the hook for anything that you got going on. But man, you, that's a new streaming name. Yeah. Queeby's been like all over the commercial scene right oh, now. Oh, they're they're so pushing. They're, they're pushing. pushing hard. I got something from News you Don't Give a Shit About for them in a few moments. All right. Uh-oh. But in the meantime, News you Don't Give a Shit About in Indonesia, President Joko Widodo declared that coronavirus... You pan- made that up. I did not. That one is correct. I double-checked it. I even went on and made him pronounce it on, on the web. All right. <laughs> 
he was like, Mr. Torgo, I am very busy. I have a lot to do. I don't have time. Well, I need to hear this on our podcast. <laughs> All right. Idodo. Tune in. It's great. Uh, he declared a coronavirus pandemic a national emergency in March 31st, uh, but he stopped short of issuing a nationwide stay-at-home order. So one village enlisted the help of ghosts to scare people indoors. Located in the central Java province, the volunteers of the Kepa village and Sukaharjo have been holding surprise patrols dressed as Pokong. It's a ghost that is popular in Indonesian folklore. Uh, Kepa village head uh, Priyadi told Reuters, quote, local residents still lack awareness on how to curb the spread of COVID-19 disease. They want to live like normal, so it is very difficult for them to follow the stay-at-home instruction. Anjar, uh, oh, okay, this one's going to be fun. Anjar Panikantias, the head of the local youth volunteer group, told the Reuters that they, quote, wanted to be different in their attempts to enforce stay-at-home recommendations. The plan initially backfired as people ventured out of their houses in hopes to snapping photos with the ghosts for social media. That makes me wonder, like... uh I forget who posted it in the lair, but the uh, the Dalek going through the that yes. English village t- telling everybody to stay inside, and it's like, how many people ran out to take a picture sure. of the Dalek driving down the street, or the, or the follow up, the stormtroopers marching down and telling people to stay inside. Uh, Panitaya said, however, that the environment of the village has become more conductive to the idea of staying inside. Uh, Pokong or shrouded ghost is a popular bit of folklore in Indonesia. Traditionally, corpses are wrapped in white shrouds knotted at the top of the head, neck, and feet. The soul of the person is said to remain on Earth for 46.3 days. If the shroud knots are not released after that time, the ghost is of the deceased is said to jump out of the grave to warn people that its soul has not yet been released. Once the knots are released, the soul is released forever and will not return to Earth. The shrouded ghosts are the stars of several Indonesian horror films, uh, starting with the movie Pokong itself in 2006. Ooh. Uh, news you don't give a shit about? Here's that Quibi story. That No. Now, in the commercial, is it Quibi? Is that how they're saying it? They're saying Quibi. They're saying Quibi? Okay. Quick bites. Quibi. Okay. Uh, it's been a week after the launch of mobile-only short-form streaming service Quibi. And may not stay mobile only. Uh, Quibi CEO Meg Whitman explained that since the service was planned to fill in the gaps between people's commutes and other daily lives out and about in the world, the pandemic changed how audiences were watching. That means that isolating fans may soon be able to stream Quibi shows on their TVs instead. Quote, we thought about that up front, but we really wanted to get that right for mobile. But now the current situation we're talking to the engineering team about, we had always planned to be able to cast to your TV. So we're going to see if we can accelerate, accelerate that in the engineering roadmap, Whitman said. So we'll eventually get there, but it was never part of the launch. If we'd known about COVID, maybe it would have been. That's a, what a weird quote. Uh, Quibi <laughs> launched on April 6th. <laughs> so, yeah, so Quibi is mobile and TV soon, probably. Well, hey, Quibi, uh, they've been making so many announcements of new Quibi shows that I just stopped putting them in my list of red light, green lights. Oh, just because it just, would just overrun it. I'm just curious. Like, I, I haven't seen anything that makes me want to do the free trial to see if there's anything worth watching. But I'm curious now as to whether it's since it's 
was originally designed for mobile, and I think we might have talked about this, and I've just forgotten, but whether it's set up for landscape or portrait, because that's it's the, the the old filmmaker in me <laughs> hates when people shoot video now, I portrait. Did, I did see that for the most part, I don't know if it's all the shows, but it is a portion of them that they film it in such a way that your view changes depending on how you view it. Oh, okay. So if you go landscape, you'll have a wider shot, but if you go to a portrait, Mm-hmm. then the shot itself will change to focus on something specific. I see. So, Jeez. So there is, it's programmed to keep that in mind. Gotcha. You can adjust how you watch things. Uh, all the same, uh, I don't watch things on my phone, ever. I don't like it. Well, but but see, the smallest th- thing I'm willing to watch something is my iPad. But, the, but what, what bugs me about it, though, is especially if I'm watching stuff on my big screen, when it's shot that way, it's so small on the screen because right. the screen, like Samsung, even came out with a TV for CES that rotates to landscape <laughs> so that people would stop complaining. I don't know if it's available for sale yet or not, but that's I'm I'm sitting there and I'm going I'm like, just turn the phone, just turn the phone. So I blame Apple for this because they were the first one to have done that. So when it goes onto the televisions, I assume mm-hmm. it will be in what you would expect it to be. Probably in the widescreen. So, because they film it that yeah. way. There's, it's just when they've done special filming that it goes into portrait. And news you don't give a shit about. I love this one. This one's so... Somebody out there loves this, I'm sure. The modern-day remake of Chex Quest... The 1996 sh- PC shooter, originally made to promote promote Chex cereal, is getting a supersized physical edition for hardcore fans. What? Uh, the game is the first to ever be included in boxes of cereal as a prize. If you're not familiar with the game, here is a description, because I'm sure you're not. Set on a distant planet named Baziok. The game follows the Chex Warrior, a soldier clad in a Chex-shaped suit of armor as he eradicates the invasion of the planet by the Flemoids, a species of slimy green invertebrates who have infested the planet and captured many helpless colonists, whom the Chex Warrior must save. His main weapons are devices called Zorchers, which teleport his enemies to their home dimension because you can't have killing in your game in a yeah. serial. Yeah. Yep. Rom the Space Knight. Yeah. His main <laughs> weapons are devices. Oh, I did I did Sorters. Uh, the game starts at the landing pad of the research center on Baziok. Other levels include the laboratory, the arboretum, and finally the caverns of Baziok where the Flemoids have established their colony. Their principal weapon is the use of mucus as a projectile. Uh, hold on, I got some <clears throat> I got some Flemoids for you. In addition to a downloadable Steam version recently revealed to be arriving sometime this summer, developer Limited Run Games is packaging the deluxe physical edition of the of Chex Quest inside its very own cereal box. Dubbed the Chex Warrior Edition, it costs $149.99. So $150. Now, in addition to the game itself, which wraps a G-rated non-violent shooter inside of a Doom-like first-person mechanic, the Chex Warrior Edition also includes the replica of the Zorcher, that's the gun the hero uses, a poster, a keychain, a Zorchum All t-shirt inspired by a famous Metallica album cover, enamel pins, a metal statue of the Chex Warrior, and more. 
If that's not enough, truly devoted Chex Questers can also jam to the, quote, funkiest, freshest breakfast beats for your record player, unquote, says the developer, in the form of a vinyl version of the game's soundtrack. Uh, while summer is still the release date, this is available for pre-order now uh, through Limited Run's uh, landing page. I was sitting there going, I'm like, who's going to spend 150 bucks for that? And I'm like... There's got to be something special in there, but even <laughs> even with all of the crap that you said that comes with it, I don't see them selling very many. I just don't. Now, here's the thing I can see with it, because I, I never played it. I, I remember when it came out, but I'm like, I've, I've got Doom. Why do I, why do I need yeah, this? Yeah, I never played it either. I, I vaguely remember it. This Chex-skinned version of it. I think there's a there's a segment out there that, this was their first experience of a Doom style game. It was free. It came in the serial. This was what ninety six. So Doom had been out a few years. Yeah. But not everybody had it. And here's a game that video game that came in the serial. And yes, it was apparently a somewhat decent Doom clone, despite all the checksness of it. And there are people that really enjoyed it. Checksness. Uh, so. <clears throat> How about any shock monkeys out there? But were you into uh, Chex Quest? I, I would like to know. Put it in the shock funny, monkeys like, layer. I, before I got to play Doom, like the old original Doom, I ended up getting to play Duke Nukem first. Oh, that's a whole different yeah, thing. Like, well, a friend of different mine experience. had it and, and loaned it to me, and so I got to play that. And I'm sitting there going, "I'm like, okay, so now I really want to know this this game Doom that this is loosely based off of." And that oh. was uh, at. It, for me, it was almost kind of a letdown at that point, going back to play Doom, because it's like, <laughs> oh, wasn't as entertaining, but still, it was a good game. And then, of course, the more modern iterations are much more involved, which I think are I, pretty cool. I played uh, Paul's, when we roomed together, his Quake. Oh, okay, yeah. <clears throat> and I really like Quake, if anything, just for Trent Reznor's oh, yeah. music. It was great. Absolutely great ambient music. So oh, Absolutely. I forgot he did the soundtrack for that. Yeah. Uh, so. When I went to college, I went to college with my uh, 386 IBM clone computer. Oh, yeah. And which was not a great computer at the time. The 486 was already out, and there were already ones beyond that. Uh, but it was enough to get my papers done at college and play a few games like the original Civilization. I already explained <laughs> that, what happened with that. Uh, but I will never forget the day that my roommate says, I have this game called Wolfenstein 3D. And mm. I'm like, uh, and I'm like, uh, Dude, I played Cap, Cap, Escape from Castle Wolfenstein on my Commodore 64. It was a crappy game. No, 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 check this out. Put it on there and yeah. saw my first interactive 3D world. Yeah. And that changed my life. And my computer could not run Doom. That was how slow it was. But it could run this. So when Doom came out, I was like, ah, I want to play it. And that's when my enterprising friends, because big geek, so I was a friend with all the IT guys that were ran all the college computer rooms and they put doom in all the computers as well as descent and it was my first experience doing lan partying with multiple computers in your own screen against people in a 3d environment right mind fucking blowing yeah god descent i god that's a long time since i've thought about that game ah amazed i graduated at all yeah right half-life was my uh lan uh Half-Life was uh, so good. Yeah. So good. Especially the, the parties I'd play at, there were tons of mods. Oh, yes. That's my, how you do it. My favorite that was really popular to do at the time apparently was mouse-sized. 
So oh wow, the 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 maps yeah. you were mouse sized, so the maps were just freaking huge, big big houses. They were oh, just okay. you know you were like Jerry Mouse running around, you know, shooting stuff and interacting with giant uh, objects and stuff. So that was cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Wolfenstein was game-changing, and yeah. Doom took that and changed it even more. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, let's do some Weekend Geek. Let's get out of this darn Woo-hoo. conversation of dumb what? stuff. What? <laughs> There's a lot of dudes don't give a shit about this week. Yeah, there was. Oh. Wow. <laughs> haven't had a run like that since Andy was here. I haven't had a run like that since I Uh-oh. ate that bad Taco Bell. <laughs> I was waiting for a runs <laughs> joke, and there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Why wait? I just wasn't sure if it was going to be Torgo or if it was going to be you. Make one, Jeff. Nah. Don't yeah. hesitate. Yeah, Jeff, make low, a runs. Low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging <laughs> fruit. <laughs> oh, listen to Mr. Hoity-toity. <laughs> Mr. Highbrow. <laughs> now I trim my eyebrows. Uh, this one can kind of skirt the edge. It could go either way as far as how you feel about it. I almost put it in news you don't give a shit about, but I'm like, ah. Eh. Maybe someone cares. The Green Hornet is coming back for another film revival. After Seth Rogen attempted a superhero turn as the hero for Sony, Universal looks to bring the vigilante back to the big screen. Variety reports that the Green Hornet and Cato is on its way from film producers Michael Helfant as the ex-president of Marvel Studios and Bradley Gallo as the new take on the series that introduced Bruce Lee to American audiences as the hero's sidekick Cato back in 1966. As for the take itself, Helfant describes the movie as, quote, creating a contemporary version of the franchise that is fresh and exciting with respecting its long legacy and history, unquote. Um, that, that's the part that kind of almost threw it away for me. Because Green Hornet's always kind of been of its time. Yeah. yeah. So whenever you see or think of it, you always see that, that very, you know, fedora mask very much a Batman riff. Yeah. You know, low budget Batman riff. So I'm, I'm I mean, I never saw the Seth Rogen. I haven't either. I, I didn't think it was that bad. Okay. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't, you know, a blockbuster of a movie, but uh, I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of critics were making it out to be. When I, the way I saw it, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that was more of a modern take, that he was kind of inherited it. Yeah, um, it was it was a modern take. Seth Rogen plays the son of a publisher, a publishing magnate. God, I can't talk now. Uh, I know the feeling. And is it an hour and forty yet? <laughs> uh, and uh, his father dies, and you know he inherits all of his stuff, and then finds out that his father didn't just die; he was murdered, and then teams up with Cato, and they they become vigilantes, but in the guise of being a criminal. So that that would be a setup where other criminals would fear him, and it's it's it's, it's all a, explained in the movie. The, the, the original <laughs> Green Hornet so. yes. um, conceit is very tough because yeah. it is he plays a criminal, and in watching Green Hornet episodes, it's sort of it it comes across as kind of forced because he really yeah. is just being a vigilante superhero, and posing as a criminal amongst criminals yeah. gets it gets really difficult. So. Here's here's the take you want to do. Okay. Here's 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 Mr. K coming forward. Throw me the pitch, man. Period piece, right? Sixties. Maybe you even want to take it back ten years to fifties. Remington steal it. Oh, oh okay. Cato 
is the superhero. But Asian dude running around being a vigilante? Eh. So he grabs a hold of this white guy who really wants to go after crime. And he makes him the front man. And he's also got the money. So he can make it happen. Dude, this pitch is great. This is the pitch. This is because the, the whole thing of putting it modern is like, okay, they did that already. But yeah. no one's done the period piece of it. So, yes, not right. only do I like the, that aspect of that being a period piece, but I like that twist of Cato being and, and, the and, hero. Yeah, and you need to do, if you're going to do that twist, you need to do the period piece. Because yes. nowadays, yeah. fuck it. Yeah. Asian guy wants to go out and kick some ass and solve crimes. Certainly. He can do it. And, no, you know, it's not going to be any bigger than any other conversation. So, but you put that in the 60s when, when Bruce Lee was encountering all those fun. Fuck! Play with the Bruce Lee angle. This is a guy who uh, is an a- Asian martial arts superstar coming to America, wants it, but he also gets caught up in this fucking crime shit, and he's trying to deal with that, and that's when he's and he's encountering his bullshit in Hollywood, and then he's like, ah, oh, shit, it's going to be, and he encounters the same fucking thing. He puts on a mask, and he's still getting shit, and he's just like, okay, fuck it. And he finds this publisher dude. And that's when the Green Hornet thing and Cato and all of that just sort of blows up and becomes a thing. I don't know. No, that, I love I'm that. Just, yeah, your, I'm your just idea spitballing got, here. But, you know. It's got legs, kid. It's just. Because. I mean, I mean, Green Hornet. It's, Red light it, or green light, Tom? Yeah, <laughs> it's, green light? Full green. It, it, it's pulpy, you know. And it's, and it's kind of got that Batman-ish to it. But really, when you when you read up on Green Hornet or you watch documentaries or you listen to stories, for me, it all the the real cool angle always comes back to Bruce Lee. Always comes back to Bruce Lee, and 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 so you know, look at that angle, and look at it and go with it. I, I love it. I don't know. I love it. Or fuck it, fuck it. We're we're you know we're doing so much diversity shit. I don't know. Make Green Hornet another Asian guy. Make him, make him, make him, make him non-white some other way. Latino, black. I don't know. Sure. Do some fucking thing. But anyway, I just, yeah, play with that, because uh, I think I could have sworn the Seth Rogen movie was going to be that Cato was the hero. Well, and yeah, he needed- it, essentially in the movie, Cato is the true hero. Mm-hmm. And the Seth Rogen character, uh, I forget his his name. Britt Reed. Britt Reed is trying to be, but Cato is the one who is actually doing the heroic things mm-hmm. for for the majority of the film. Right. I and mean, yeah, Rogen okay. eventually starts to get the hang of it. Sure, and that's what you end. do. That's what you do. If you're doing like a series, yeah, then yeah, your first season. Is is you're not only showing the awesome of Cato, but you're showing Reed go through the process of rising yeah. to the challenge. Because Reed has the desire throughout the film, but he doesn't have the talent. Mm-hmm. Cato has the talent, and then brings him along, right. if you will. And then in season kind of nursemaids him. Season five, you get the big twist where Britt Reed really does want to be a criminal, and Cato's got to take him down. Oh shit! Ooh. Jump the shark. That's right. <laughs> Get some Kurtzman fucking Abrams 
horsey <laughs> shit going on. The last what? time, no, sorry, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was just like, what happened to Roberto Orsi? He's he's fallen off the he's, off the planet. We talked about him a few weeks ago. He's yeah. in some writer's room in the. Head it it was funny because you mentioned something and we were all like, oh, that's what happened. Yeah, because yeah. because Kurtzman is all over the place. On his, yeah. But it's obviously so important that I remembered exactly what it was. So uh, <laughs> go Orsi. Uh, yeah. Good job. Good good luck. <laughs> The last time the comics community enjoyed a new comic book day with a relatively normal amount of new product was March 25th. After that, Diamond Comics Distributors, the company that ships comics from all major publishers to local stores, announced it was suspending shipment of new product amid the rising threat of COVID-19. Mm. Now, DC Comics is preparing to change that at least a little. The publisher announced Friday that it will begin shipping new single-issue comics to participating local stores again on April 28th, marking an end to a month-long comics drought that's been filled with various fundraisers to help local shops through the crisis. The decision came, quote, after surveying more than 2,000 stores across the U.S. and Canada about how to get the product to readers. The publisher also made a list of participating stores available on the website, with more being added all the time. While most stores are still closed to regular business, many local shops are offering curbside pickup, shipping, and even delivery options for customers. When Diamond announced it would no longer ship new product, publishers were forced to contend with the sudden loss of their main source of physical distribution. And virtually every major publisher out there um, cut out the release of new single issues apart from digital first releases while they worked on this strategy. In the days after Diamond's announcement, reports surfaced that DC was exploring options to distribute books without them. And now it looks like some version of that strategy has been agreed upon. It's unclear if or when other publishers will follow DC's lead and latch onto new methods of distribution to local stores. But even if they don't, we may not have to wait too long for Diamond. According to Hollywood Reporter, the distributor sent a letter out to retailers Friday that identified mid to late May as a potential time frame for reopening shipping channels for new comics, though that timeline is subject to change as the situation evolves. Uh, we have no idea when a normal new comic book day might arrive again, but at least there's progress. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, DC's doing this. I, would, I haven't really heard about other ones, aside from, some, I believe, uh, uh, already... Uh, Dark Horse was doing their own version of this. Uh, but the way I see it is if Diamond stays out of this too long, they the companies will create their own distribution channels and knock Diamond out altogether. Yeah. That's a possibility, and frankly, not a bad one. No. I, yeah. I, I mean, Diamond has a monopoly on this. And yeah. It has for ages. Yeah, it, it was really funny. I was watching... I got caught up in watching a few YouTube uh, Damn You Marvel. And I was like, okay, this is Marvel's fault. This is interesting. And then people brought up the early 90s when Marvel bought, I believe it was New World. I can't remember the fucking title, but it was a distribution company with the intent of distributing exclusively through then because there used to be Diamond, Capital, and at least one other. And... Marvel did that, so and it was like exclusively Marvel through this one, and in retaliation, a lot of companies were like, well, we're just going to exclusively through Diamond, and then Marvel mishandled it. Things didn't work out for them. They dropped their distributor and eventually had to go to Diamond, and poof, 
Diamond was all that was left. And didn't Diamond also buy up several smaller distributors? As, as they were falling yeah. apart. Because when Marvel went exclusive, that fucked a lot of people. So, so Marvel actually did, in fact, uh, uh, 40, <laughs> create near, their- nearly fucking 40 years ago, create... Create the Diamond Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember, I was working in a store when that all happened. And boy, was it a pain in the ass, because we were getting... You know, we'd have our DC books on the shelves one day, and then the Marvels might be the day before, or they might be the day after, and it just, you know, we hit a zone where you got new release day was two days a week, and and people were just irritated at having to come in twice, and it was just fucking... It was a pain in the ass, and it did not take long for Marvel to shit the bed on that, and that was it. <laughs> so, it... um it's really funny because the word, I mean, it seemed like Diamond was like, sorry, guys, we're finished. It seemed like they were just like, we're done. And now it's like, oh, we'll, we'll be back mid-May. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know what the hell happened there. Maybe everyone just like, well, we're going to figure this out and create some new distribution if we need to. And that made them go, oh, fuck, okay. I don't know if they were looking for something or what, but... It seems, I mean, on the surface, it seems like it motivated them to stay in the game. So, but competition's good, and having more distributors would yes. be nice. So, yeah. so long as nobody does the dumbass exclusive thing, that's that's when shit yeah. starts falling apart, and they will. Lionsgate joins the trend of studios offering up their greatest hits as free streaming fuel for content-hungry audiences. Paramount recently scheduled a series of Sunday night movies on CBS. But Lionsgate is offering four films to stream for free on upcoming Fridays. According to a release, the effort titled Lionsgate Live, A Night at the Movies, will bring The Hunger Games, Dirty Dancing, La La Land, and John Wick to YouTube for free over the next four weeks. And the best part is that Jamie Lee Curtis is hosting. There will be trivia, special guests, and much more during the screenings. Lionsgate is also donating and encouraging those uh, tuning in to donate to the Will Rogers Foundation, which is helping furloughed theater employees make it through the pandemic. 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 Pandemic is a wonderful word. Oh, my God. You do the pandemic. Thunderbolts at night. What is a pandemic, gentlemen? What does that mean? Pandemic is the latest wave of YouTube bullshit. (laughs) People are (laughs) complaining about SJWs or something. It's a pandemic. That's a pandemic. That's the latest <laughs> bitch session about Star Wars. That's it. A pandemic is the latest bitch session of toxic fandom. There you yeah. Go. Yeah. Wow. There you go. It's a pandemic. Speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> it reminds me that if you haven't seen Knives Out, it's out there available for rent now. Okay. Definitely check that movie out. It's really good. All the all the actors in that are, are, movie are just amazing. Uh, things kicked off with Lionsgate Live with uh, Hunger Games on April 17th. And with each consecutive Friday after showing the next film in programming series. The films start streaming at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. J.J. Abrams, $500 million deal with Warner Brothers just snabbed him a commitment for three original one-hour shows at HBO Max. Two of them are directly inspired by DC Comics and Stephen King. The first genre show in the works is a project that draws inspiration from Justice League Dark. 
a DC team known for its collection of paranormal heroes and anti-heroes who tackle supernatural threats. They serve a similar purpose to Marvel's Doctor Strange by addressing the occult horror-themed problems that traditional characters and squads aren't able to cope with. Uh, not much is known about Abrams' take on this at the time. Uh, the second series from Abrams is a show called Overlook, a horror thriller based on Stephen King's The Shining. Based on the initial description provided in the press release, the project will tell, quote, the untold terrifying stories of the most famous haunted hotel in American fiction, unquote. Yeah, wasn't it supposed to be like some kind of a prequel-ish kind of thing? Uh, there's not a whole lot of information as far okay. as this goes, as what it truly is. There's a lot of speculation. Maybe now, that's what I'm thinking of. Now, one thing that Stephen King does when you're reading his novels, he does this in It a lot, uh, but he also does it in The Shining, where he does these asides and tells just a small story of another person has dealt with this issue in the past. So it could be that they're fleshing out some of these stories from the novel and building new ones of other things that have happened in The Overlook. Uh, published in 1977, the uh, Shining novels about the Torrance family as it contends with the malevolent spirits at its haunted resort in the Colorado mountains. Uh, Stanley Kubrick famously adapted the book in 80, uh, but King has disavowed that film for decades. The author penned a sequel, Dr. Sleep, in 2013, which was an amazing read, and it was cinematically adapted by Mac Mike Flanagan last year. Uh, this marks Abrams' third time as a producer on a King-themed television show. After 11-22-63 and the Castle Rock shows, both of which are Hulu originals. The third series coming to HBO Max is a show called Duster. It's being written by J.J. Abrams and Walking Dead scribe LaToya Morgan. It will follow a getaway driver for a crime syndicate in 1970s Southwest. Uh, Bad Robot's other collaborations with Warner Brothers Television are, of course, Westworld for HBO, the upcoming Lovecraft Country for HBO, and yet another King adaptation, Lizzie's Story, for Apple TV+. The WB deal also applies to films. Abrams' first big-screen adventure in that front will be The Pinkerton, a supernatural western about the agents of the famous Pinkerton Detective Agency. Yeah, I remember so, us talking about that. So, yeah, so Abram's making good on this deal. Um, not sure what to think about Overlook. I'm, as an HBO subscriber, I get nervous when I see things that are going to go to HBO Max. Yeah. Because at that point, I'm like, if everything that's on HBO is going to be on HBO Max, why have HBO? Why just, just cut that right out and get to HBO Max? I'm, well, which I'm sure is what they want. It's it's very possible. And it it's, it's interesting, too, that they, it seems like they're putting all this new original content on max and it's yeah just like you said why have hbo at that point if you can have both the new content and hbo sure and of course hbo max isn't out yet so we, right. we don't know how that's structured perhaps if you subscribe you get it automatic to it who knows yeah uh but uh, yay to stay tuned to news you don't give a shit about to find out right <laughs> <laughs> how is dr sleep yeah, who, who, I saw the movie. It was I liked it. I I've been holding off watching it because oh, okay. I want to get the Blu-ray because the Blu-ray has an uncut version of the film, which oh. is three hours long. Oh, and as deep and I would say extravagant, but all-encompassing as the novel was, I would like to see what the director wanted to put on screen for this. All right. Uh, so I'm I, intrigued I, as well. So eventually, I'll get the Blu-ray and I'll be able to see it. So I've been saving it for that. Jeffrey, I've never watched The Shining in completeness. Now, we, <laughs> really? we've already discussed about Dr. Sleep. Do you need the movie? Do you need the book and how it was created and stuff? 
should the should I see should I watch The Shining uh, ass to elbow before uh, before this uh, three hour version of Doctor Sleep? I don't think you need to. I mean, some of the visuals that you see in Doctor Sleep will be helped by watching The Shining, but as far as a need, no. Um, I mean, I I love the Kubrick movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I've never. I it, and, and for me, it's just a matter of never gotten around to it. Right. It, you know, sort of. I've sort of torgoed it. But yeah, the the fact that it, uh, you know, Stephen King has been really adamant. I still don't know the whole reason behind. I mean, I know that he and and if, uh, if Kubrick read- had a lot of friction in the discussions during the filmmaking of. King saying, no, don't do this. And he's like, this is my movie. I'm going to do what I did, want. Did uh, the documentary but, ever address any of that? Depends which documentary you talk about. Um, <laughs> so many different ones. Oh, great. I, I, um, well, I was going to room. No, not that one. Oh, that, okay. that one's about conspiracy theories about the movie. That's oh, all it's shit. about. Oh, shit. All right. Um, if you read The Shining, you will know why Stephen King has an issue with the movie. Uh, I read The Shining before I saw the movie, and I was horribly disappointed in it because that's not the book I read. That's nowhere oh, near the book I read. See the movie before I read the book because I haven't read the book. Either. Yes. And in fact, if you want to just say, you know what, I'm going to skip the book. I don't want to invest that much time. Watch. Well, I'll do it. It's King. Sure. And it is good. The Shining is a fantastic novel. But if you don't want to invest that time, there is the TV miniseries that came out in the 90s, which is a fairly decent representation of Stephen King's novel. Well, King was involved with that one too, right? Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, he was involved in that. So if you want a more... Faithful? Yeah, faithful translation to the book, see the miniseries. Okay. And then you'll see what the difference is. It's probably on Tubi. But yeah, I mean, they they are... Aside from the setting and the name of the characters and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a general sense of what happens as far as like plot A, B to C, leaving out a lot of details. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a similar story, but they are completely different. Okay, stories. when you say that, that actually makes the whole what he did for the novel Dr. Sleep pretty rather impressive. Yeah. Because you said that he, he made that so you could go either way or neither way. So yeah, he did did a really good job with that. Wow! And I understand the movie does it even further by taking on the visuals of the movie, the Kubrick yeah. version. So that that apparently is a masterwork of genius as far as that director, as far as melding that together. Yeah, he, right. he, he Who was some that? Of, some of the scenes he or the sets that they recreated for the for Doctor Sleep were just outstanding. Very cool. All right, oh, uh, Mike okay. Flanagan is the director of that one. Flanagan, ah. Okay. Now, of course, in these times, we lose a lot of people. Uh, so these are who we lost this week. Uh, Danny Goldman, the voice of Brainy Smurf of the original animated Smurf series, died at the age of 80. Goldman, whose high-pitched portrayal of the Smurfs' resident scold made Brainy Smurf stand out in a show that relied on individual nuance to distinguish one Smurf from another. Goldman also stood out in his small 1974 role in Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein, playing a pesky medical student in the film's opening scene against star Gene Wilder, pestering the mad doctor not to discard his grandfather's monster research. Goldman's unnamed character drove Frankenstein to stab himself in the leg with a <laughs> Frankenstein in his uh, exasperation. 
His acting career also saw him show up in numerous guest appearances in a long list of TV series from the 70s through the 90s, including The Good Life, Get Smart, The Partridge Family, Columbo, Cagney and Lacey, The Golden Girls, and The King of Queens. He also appeared in Robert Altman's MASH, as well as other movies throughout the 70s. He was also, uh, he actually reprised Brainy Roll for Robot Chicken. Oh, did he? A couple of times. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we also lost Alan Davio, the cinematographer who gave the world the iconic silhouette of E.T. and Elliot against the moon. He was 77. Davio mm-hmm. worked with Steven Spielberg since the early days, shooting his short film Amblin and working in smaller capacities on the director's Close Encounters of the Third Kind and India Jones and the Temple of Doom. The Color Purple and Empire of the Sun also saw the pair reunite. But it was his work as cinematographer for E.T. the Extraterrestrial that made his images iconic. He was nominated for an Oscar for his work on the film, which would be just the first of five Oscar nominations over his career. The classic moonshot became Amblin's logo. The DP also shot segments of Twilight Zone the movie, Congo, Van Helsing, Harry and the Hendersons, and an episode of The Amazing Stories over his six-decade career. His cinematography is outstanding i mean the way that he and spielberg would work because spielberg was the master of kind of framing and so forth and he was able to to take spielberg's direction and translate it to the actual physical camera work and scene setup and just the two of them together collaboration it was just uh, amazing i i i can't even say i can't even find the words to say what i'm trying to say but it just it's incredible i mean the history of what he's done speaks for itself. Watch any of those movies, and you know the fact it draws you in. You know the scene composition, evoking emotion, is something that not a lot of talent has the capability to do. Also, Brian Dennehy, the Golden Globe and yeah. Tony Award actor, whose extensive TV work earned him multiple Emmy nominations, has died at the age of eighty-one. While Dennehy played a plenty of straight drama roles and action-oriented characters, he also gave us such memorable genre performances as the alien leader Walter in Cocoon and Cocoon the Return, as well as Ratatouille's Django, father of Remy and leader of the Rats. He reportedly served as inspiration for Brian Michael Bendis' version of Spider-Man baddie Norman Osborn, as drawn by Mark Bagley. Dennehy was also prolific on the small screen, where many of his nearly 200 credits were played. Detectives, dads, killers were his bread and butter. But sometimes he'd score a more outlandish role like Masters of Science Fiction's Bedziak. Or uh, Dennehy's final performance looks to be the upcoming film Son of the South. Yeah, that man was everywhere. He's been on the blacklist the last few seasons. Um, I didn't realize how much stage work he had done oh. until I was reading like the, the yeah. obituary. Because I, I had only known him from the big screen and the small screen. And even then, you know, he was a very distinctive character portrayer. And then to find out, you know, all of these things that he did, Broadway, Off-Broadway, and so forth, I was just, I was astounded. Yeah, a lot of people kept going back to his uh, his Willie Loman in uh, oh, yeah, Death of a Salesman. Didn't he win, uh, was that not, uh, uh, damn it. Tony? Tony, yeah. thank you. I believe he did for that. He was one. a Tony winner and an Oscar winner too, if I remember correctly. Or no, he did. He, or he was Oscar nominated. I think he was I think. nominated. He won Emmys and Tonys though. Yeah, Emmys and Tonys for sure. But 
Not not quite the triple threat, but damn close to. He was a triple threat. Yeah. I felt threatened. <laughs> I loved him in FX. That's the first yeah. thing my brain goes to as well. Yeah, FX. First Blood and FX. Yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. First Blood. Jeez. Yeah. You, you never wanted to hate somebody so much as, in, yeah. as you and did First Blood. And somebody who, who in, in sheer force of personality, could... He wasn't he wasn't a, a muscle abs a bicep and abs actor yeah. but in sheer force of personality and presence he could he could stand uh, in Stallone's face yeah and, 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 and be the bad guy and to portray characters that would make you like him and hate him when the situation was appropriate right. was unmatched it was funny because I watched FX you know not knowing shit and just waited for him to be you know just the complete asshole guy so when he turns into (laughs) like essentially tommy lee jones to harrison ford in the fugitive right with um roland uh with uh i'm thinking raleigh tire that's the character's name but uh the 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 actor playing the stunt guy and he being the uh the fx guy uh yeah the fx guy Uh and denny he being the uh the uh, the cop was yeah. uh, it was interesting because like he becomes the guy who's like you know uh, going to save his ass yep and then they they even did a sequel yep FX two yeah Electric Boogaloo <laughs> uh-huh. FX two is just okay yeah. but that first movie the first one's great yeah yeah if you haven't seen FX check it out God dude it's a know, little dated you it know is. especially oh, yeah. especially cons- I mean some of the makeup and special effects that they use in that. Are a product of its time, but some of it still holds up. Sure, you know some of it's still done hey, today. The crazy make, gluing the the, yeah. the the machine gun to the guy's hand was just great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, you know you said electric boogaloo, <laughs> and it's just so fucking funny because that's just taken on a new. Uh, we would never mm. remember the Breaking series without that fucking name. <laughs> yeah, electric boogaloo is is the perfect sets of syllables together. Yeah. It meant nothing at the time, and now we remember it for all time. Yeah, and it, but it's funny too because it's become like a synonym for sequel. Yes, yeah. And there's, there are now the, the Boogaloo Preppers. <laughs> what? You, what, um, what? What's? These are people looking for the Civil War electric Boogaloo. Oh Jesus! They've called themselves the Boogaloos. I, I. Uh, and, and well, or they were deemed that. Uh, yeah, they don't quite call themselves that, but they talk. And it it's funny because there are different levels of discussion about the origin. So when somebody refers to a just a boogaloo, they're talking about the coming civil war, right? Gotcha. And like I stumbled across a video. There was one. There's one video. One guy does gun videos where he he doesn't he isn't being an NRA Second Amendment. Uh, you know, choir boy. He actually just just talking about guns, and he actually had a funny video. What the five best guns to buy to panic buy in the pandemic? And he was just talking about gun, you know, household defense guns. And he's like, "You're a first time buyer," and that that was his focus. But he also had the great, and I can't remember exactly how he put it, but Boogaloo loadout. Where he was talking about, you know, like, if you're actually preparing for an apocalypse, this is sort of what I would recommend. And it was really funny because he got 
shit from people in his comments about use of the term boogaloo. And it was really funny because some were saying this is a bad word and the connotation is bad. And others were like saying, hey, don't make fun of this word. So he was getting it from both ends, <laughs> people complaining about it. But um, uh, I think I'm getting a feeling that it's, it's, it's more of a sneer in the gun community than not. But I'm not, I, I, I honestly haven't been able to completely parse it out. Or you can go to the original Boogaloo, which is the electric Boogaloo, which was part of the series of breakdance movies we got <laughs> oh in the early 80s. Yeah. yeah. It was Breaking and Breaking 2, which gave yep. us the electric name. Boogaloo, yeah. and, but there was also Beat Street. Right. Which was the competing breakdance movie. There's another one, too. I can't think of the name right now. There wasn't. It wasn't breakdance, but there was a singing, dancing movie that my mom loved called Fast Forward. And uh, they were they were like a, a singing group trying to make their break. And goddamn, my mom loved that movie and wore out her VHS watching it. And it was really funny because I always associate those movies with that. Although I have no clue how connected they are. But anyway, every time every time somebody says electric boogaloo now, I go to the whole prepper things. That's a shame. Yeah, <laughs> that's a goddamn shame. Because you should go to break two. <laughs> Every time. God, what was the name of that stupid movie? Don't know. It wasn't called Electric Boogaloo. It doesn't matter. It did not stand the test of time. This one did. Not because it was good, because it wasn't. It just had a great name. All right. MVD Entertainment has scooped up the North American distribution rights to Max Reload and the Nether Blasters, a gaming action adventure film that stars Kevin Smith. Written and directed by the duo of Scott Condit and Jeremy Tremp, the movie centers on a video game store clerk who must save his hometown from destruction after unleashing the forces of evil known as the Nether from a retro ColecoVision game. The clerk receives some much-needed help from his two best friends, Liz and Reggie, and a mysterious masked stranger. Tom Plummy, Hassie Harrison, Joey Morgan, Lucas Gage, Joseph Reitman, Charlie Talbert, Greg Grunberg, Lynn Shea, Martin Cove, and Will Wheaton co-star. MVD plans to release Max Reload in the theaters and on VOD platforms this summer. Cool. Sounds like wow. fun. It does sound like fun. Damn. Steps on my idea. Because of Call of, uh, Call of Duty, you, you had your uh, Max Ammo. And uh, every time we'd, uh, when we were like playing zombies and we hit that power up, Max Ammo, I started saying, a great American hero. Ah, yes. <laughs> and so now Max Ammo, I, I want to make a Max Ammo movie that's like a first person shooter hero. It looks like they've done it. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> that's good. If you've got an idea, people, don't wait on yeah, it. Yeah, really. Queeby. Queeby's right there for you to do it, folks. Just yeah. hold your phone right. Yeah, take a movie. Yeah. Yeah, get your phone right, people. Don't shoot it Kubrick style. That's that's portrait because he liked the height. Jeff hated Kubrick. You know, you know, dude. It was really funny. I got really pissed because I was watching my uh, Full Metal Jacket DVD, mm -hmm. and I was just like, "God damn it! They they cropped it. It isn't pan and scan. I mean, it's not <laughs> widescreen. It's not wide. You know, and it, no, Kubrick shot it that way, and it was like." It, it was really tough for me to adjust to. Yeah. It's, uh, but that, that I heard was his argument. He's like, you've got all this height. I don't know why everybody wants everything wide. But he was sort of like that. That's what he likes. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah. He shot in portrait. <laughs> <laughs> After adapting it into two blockbuster movies. For, what? Stop it, you fuckers. Stop what? Into two blockbuster movies for Andy Muschietti. Gary Dauberman is getting a chance to direct a Stephen King project. What is it? He has been tapped to helm a it's big it. screen adaptation of Salem's Lot in addition to writing it. The project from New Line Entertainment was first announced back in April, but no developments have come along until now. Published in 1975, the novel censors on Ben Mears, a writer who moves back to his hometown of Jerusalem's lot in an effect to find inspiration for his new book. (laughs) He soon discovers that the people around him are transforming into vampires. Salem's Lot has been adapted several times before. It became a two-part CBS miniseries directed by Toby Hooper in 1979 and received a cinematic sequel in 1987 via Larry Cohen's Return to Salem's Lot. And in 2004, TNT aired its own miniseries adaptation with Rob Lowe playing Mears. Uh, Dobberman made his directorial debut last year with Annabelle Comes Home, which was a pretty decent film. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm down for a new Salem's Lot. Uh, the original is okay, not bad for a TV movie. Uh, a decent adaptation overall. David Soul. But, uh, but yeah, let's do a new one. It's been a while. It Chapter 2 just hit HBO, so... I'm, I, you know what? I have been searching for that, like, regularly, so mm-hmm. I'm glad you let me know that. Yeah, because I, I missed it when it was in the theaters, oh. and I just saw that uh, this weekend. I was like, oh, got to remember to record that. You oh. missed it, but what about It Chapter 2? Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. See? See, yeah. this, is, this is what you yeah. walk into, Jeff. Good yeah, job. Jeff. How does it feel? How does it feel, Jeff? <laughs> How does it feel? How does it feel? Does it feel good? Sure. Does it feel slimy? <laughs> you like slime? Yeah, no. <laughs> Ah, that's actually that is actually good to know. <laughs> the latest book from The Martians, Andy Weir, has been snapped up for a movie deal publication. The Hail Mary, a solo space trip from an astronaut with some twists and turns and similarities to The Martians problem solving, isn't set to come out until spring of 2021. MGM is looking to acquire the Hail Mary in a seven-figure deal that would see Ryan Gosling producing and playing the lead role. Other details are scarce, considering that the book, coming from Random House, will publish next spring. So the guy that brought us The Martian, his next book is going to be run by Ryan Gosling, by the sounds of things, as far as the movie goes. And when I wrote this, I realized it kind of sounds like a commercial, but no, this, we're not getting paid for this. I just think this sounds like a neat idea for those interested. Uh, if you're a fan of manga or manga curious, uh, Mangamo, that's manga with M-O at the end of it. Mangamo is a new manga app on iOS that is bringing over 300 titles to fans with legal translations. Oh, <laughs> That's, that's a thing. I okay. The service normally costs four ninety nine a month, but uh, Mangamo is offering a two month free trial for fans to enjoy some of their favorite manga. Some of the titles include uh, uh, include uh, Attack on Titan, Fire Force, uh, Art, uh, Daily Meteor Strike, and so much more. The high cost of manga, which is normally ten to fifteen dollars per book, makes it inaccessible for many readers outside of Japan, and it estimated that millions of dollars in revenue is lost to manga piracy sites every year. So, Mangamo makes the manga affordable and accessible. Uh, Mangamo is continually working with publishers to acquire rights to more and more titles, and already offers over a thousand volumes. Uh, sadly, the service is only available on iOS devices, so Apple or not. 
But uh, two-month free trial, that's a hell of a thing. Yeah. I mean, I was impressed by these 30-day trials. Usually, it's like a two-week. Well, you, dude, yeah, no it's kidding. manga. I mean. Good point. Two months, you're, you're going to get one good manga in there. Right. <laughs> 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 hey, the, we're we're used to we sit back and talk about oh wow Lee Kirby they went a hundred issues on Fantastic Four woohoo right and it's like the, these things go on forever it's amazing so if you're interested in manga or already really into manga it's probably a cheaper way of reading it there you if go. you have Apple if you don't have Apple then the disregard then fuck you. <laughs> And speaking of uh, Creepshow on Shudder. Yes. Starting in early May, AMC will begin to air episodes of the first season of Greg Nicotero's Creepshow reboot. The horror anthology series, which is based on the 82 movie written by Stephen King and directed by George Romero, is primarily a Shudder exclusive. A protege of Tom Savini, Nicotero is head of special effects makeup for the network's adaptation of The Walking Dead. Quote, Creepshow was a phenomenal success in the first season on Shudder. As we continue to experiment with show sharing across our portfolio in defining brands at AMC Networks, it felt like a no-brainer to give fans of Nicotero's masterful zombie work on the Walking Dead universe a chance to see this, his passion project, added Sarah Bennett, president of AMC. A network's, uh, oh, I'm sorry, there's more of that title. President of AMC Network's Entertainment Group at AMC Studios. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Quote, Greg's Creep Show is a brilliant homage to the original classic horror film, and we couldn't be happier to air it on AMC or more grateful to our colleagues at Shudder, unquote. Between May 4th and May 18, two episodes of Creep Show Season 1 will air back-to-back every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Featuring stories by Stephen King, Joe Hill, Joe Lansdale, and Josh Mallerman, season one attracted an all-star ensemble of David Arquette, Adrian Barbeau, Tobin Bell, Big Boy, Jeffrey Combs, Kid Cootie, uh, Brantz Davidson, Giancarlo Esposito, Dana Gould, and Trisha Helfer, and G.J. Qualls. Adrian Barbeau. Right? She was in the original. Mm. Production on season two of Creepshow is currently on hold due to the pandemic. So, so yes. So, if you can't or won't get shutter but you do have cable or at least access to amc then creep shows coming to you isn't that that's so wonderful yeah so everybody can enjoy this wonderful series and it's the way it's filmed if you remember the style of the movie the tv show does a good job of following it i'll have to check that out so yeah it's nicotero at his best in fact i i saw nicotero about uh two weeks ago i watched a a Showing of the original Night of the Living Dead, uh, and with Nicotero as a running commentary on it, and it's wonderful. It's I think it's out there on YouTube if you want to watch it. Uh, that's the crazy thing if you're not familiar with Night of the Living Dead. Uh, somebody got the paperwork wrong when they submitted it, and it's not copyrighted, so anybody can show Night of the Living Dead. In fact, it's one of the reasons why it has lived so long. Even though George Romero no longer sees and really never saw any money of it aside from what she showed personally. Right. Because people could show it without having to pay a licensing fee. But that's what kept it alive in the movie circuit through the 70s, 80s, and so on. Wow. And allowed him the popularity of creating Dawn of the Dead, which, of course, 
copyrighted properly. <laughs> right. So that's very so even make that though mistake twice. Yeah, it really sucks because apparently what happened is they submitted a title, but for copyright, but they ended up calling the movie something else, like 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 something like ridiculously left off. Like it's called Night of the Living Dead, and originally they put the name as The Night of the Living Dead or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And so when the title came out that that's what this movie is called. That's not what they submitted, therefore not covered under that copyright. Something as ridiculously simple as that. But again, it's a movie that probably would only have a small cult following if not for all the midnight showings that happened for years because movie theaters could show it for free. Profit, profit, profit. Yep. So so if you can find it and you like Night of the Living Dead, uh, find this Nick Tarot uh, commentary version it's pretty good plus nicotero shows shows around his house at the beginning and oh, that nice. man and that man of course being a fx ingenue is just filled with horror props in fact he has uh i think one of the original fluffies from creep show on display in his home oh, wow. nice so yeah so just seeing a walk around his house just as a horror fan just seeing these props just sitting in beauty he has one of the original heads of the t-rex from no shit from jurassic park jurassic park yeah wow sitting in his living room a massive chunk of his living room but it's in there i was gonna say that sucker is not small (laughs) yeah it's amazing so jesus so yeah check it out uh what should we check out what things are going on out there that uh because of this virus has inspired all these wonderful things to help us stay at home and, and keep our time occupied. If you know of any that are coming up, please put it in the shock monkeys layer, write to us comments at ugly And until next week, I am master Torgo. 80s. Jeff. Chexness K. Chexness. 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 I liked K. it. I liked the way you said the, for all its checksness. <laughs> oh, I, I it's, Okay. It's, it's checksness. Yeah, it took me a second, too. <laughs> the checksness. Took me a second to remember it, because I was like, I want to use that at the end. <laughs> and then I was, what did I want to do? Check Quest K. No, checksness. <laughs> you are Check Quest K, though. No, no, no. Checksness. Like, where's the next check? I need a check. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, although... I don't know. Now, Chexness also sounds like a heroine from a dystopian YA series. <laughs> kind of does. Chexness Cat, Everdeen. Catness and Chexness. I'll talk to you <laughs> next you week go. in Geek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let's go have a boogaloo. An oh, ele- my God. No, an electric boogaloo. Oh, I, okay. I don't think the way you do, Kay. I think breakdancing. Uh-huh. Let's not and say we did. You know, because breakdancing <laughs> is something you can do and still keep divided. You I know, haven't I haven't dived fully deep into the whole lore cuz I you know the lore of breakdancing the lore of no the lore of the boogaloo no, I don't care about the lore of the goddamn <laughs> you should racist because shit. this that is where a lot of this weirdness comes from have you heard of the door brothers no the door brothers Aaron Christopher and some other guy you know their names Adam, yeah i just discovered them today those are pro-gun advocates okay. who apparently, it looks like, are behind the quote-unquote grassroots, quote-unquote, spontaneous protests to reopen the country. Oh, you mean the spontaneous uh, get-togethers to spread the virus? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, a lot, you know, a lot of this stuff kind of floats in the same universe. Yes, it does. 
And it, it, you know, there's a lot of spontaneous uh, combustion, uh, surface appearance oh. that actually is is manipulated. That's one of the reasons why the whole ask, you know, I just like to ask questions, and I'm an independent thinker, and it's liberate like, questions, right? Exactly, and it's, it's like, no, no, you're not, you're not, you, you are actually the very worst of the sheeple you express contempt for. You are actually the very worst you are everything you are saying you hate and it just drives me up a fucking wall and like i said earlier with like john oliver and the covid thing we need more people coming out and challenging this shit i really do think don't give them any airtime is such a bad philosophy and is part of what enables this shit to get around so hmm. it needs to be challenged 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 and this shit needs to be brought up all the time so you know if anything so that people who are are not going to fall for it anyway can at least understand where this shit's coming from because yeah. you know there is a ton of that where does this come from and it's like you know what if you're paying the slightest bit of attention this shit's been around for decades yeah, yeah it's it really been has out since electric boogaloo yeah